0: and welcome to Kick-Ass Boomers. My guest today is Doug Steppleton. Doug is the owner of Iron Mike Entertainment, a boutique music catalog based in Los Angeles. Doug is a 33-year veteran in the music business. His previous music company was Kid Gloves Music, in which he was the founder and owner. Iron Mike works and provides music for the film and TV studios, music supervisors, and advertising companies. The catalog specialty is current and contemporary sounding music. How are you today, Doug?
1: I am good. Thanks for having me on. I really appreciate it.
0: You're welcome, and welcome to have you here. So Doug is joining us from California, and he's here to talk about a very special project he was involved in back in 2010. He produced and directed a documentary film, The Mother of Normandy, the story of Simone Renaud. So I watched the film last night and it was very moving, but I'm going to let Doug explain what his film is about and why it's so important to talk about it again today, Memorial Day 2022. The mic is yours, Doug. Go ahead.
1: Thanks, Terry. Well, the film in general, I can tell you a little discovery story of how I found the film, but in a nutshell, the film was about an amazing French woman named Simone Renaud and uh, her husband was the mayor of the town of St. Mary Glees, which is a little town about six miles in, inland from Utah beach. And um, he was the mayor of the town at the time of the Normandy invasion. And um, I'll get into the story more, but she basically took care of our soldiers' graves. They had some s- temporary cemeteries in the town. And she took care of the graves of the soldiers that were buried there, wrote letters back to the families in America, letters of comfort, because it was during the war. Still 11 months left of the war and people couldn't come over to visit their son or their husband. And uh, so she kind of became the hands and feet for these, for these families in America. And these uh, relationships grew and lasted 78 years at this point. Next week is the June uh, 70th anniversary. And it continues with her three sons with what her and her husband did. So that's the gist of it. And it's an amazing true story. So that's the film. But I'll tell you how I found out about the film because I was uh, not looking for it. I've been blessed. God's blessed me to put me in situations where I've been at the right place at the right time. N- not having any input in it just being there but There and, and,
0: he says here it is run with yeah. it right
1: <laughs> things that have happened in my life certain forks when i got a job at the beverly's hotel as a valet parker when i was 19 or 20 that put me on a certain trajectory and all those things that have happened in my life after that so that was an important part but i went to normandy i've always been a big history buff i love uh history in general but i specifically like i love world war ii history so i'm always reading books about it and learning about it um My dad, I don't come from a big military family, but my dad was in the Navy, but he was in the Navy right after World War II in 46 and 47. And he was uh, basically on a destroyer on occupation duty outside of Japan. Things were still fresh. So they, that's what he did, but he was only in two years. And I had an uncle in the Navy also, but I wasn't, I'm not a veteran myself, but I just love the veterans and love our veterans and what they've done for us through all the years in the past and all up up till now. Mm -hmm. And so I did go to Normandy for the first time in 1998. And I but I went I went at the time I was married my then wife's grandma lived in Berlin so we went to visit her Her grandma. She was like 98 at the time or 99 going on 100 so we wanted to meet her, but we wanted to visit her before she died. And so while we were in Germany, I said, I've always wanted to go to France and go to the Normandy beaches. Let's head over there. And my wife, my then wife spoke fluent French, so it was great. So we went wow. over there, but yeah. And uh, But it was my first time. I didn't know a lot about, I didn't know where to go, where to stay. And since we were there in December, I can tell people don't go in December because what I found out was it was cold, dreary, wet, and all the museums are closed. So so it wasn't at least the time I went, I can't remember the exact, the actual date might've been around Christmas time. I don't know, but anyway, but I got a chance to go to the beaches and I got to see how big Omaha beach was and I was blown away and I got to see some tanks and stuff that were at a museum that you could see through the, through the outside and stuff. But the next year I said, I'm going to go again next year, but I'm going to go during June when the anniversary happens. I did a little research. So I did it the next year. And I went, and man, it was just awesome. It was like going in a time warp, 1944. There's reenactors, there's Sherman tanks driving down the street, and there's jeeps. It was really neat. I met some interesting people, and so that was my first year, I think, in '99, during the, the June. In 2004, I've been going for about four or five years, and I met some British World War II veterans that I found out about that come back, come to Normandy every year. Me, and so I was going to do a documentary about them, and while I was Doing That was during the 60th anniversary. I met them in the 59th anniversary in 2003. But 2004, I brought a camera crew over, a very small crew, me and, and two cameramen. And one of them was a aw- cameraman slash audio man. So my main cameraman was going across the, the ferry with the British guys to get their whole journey. Right. And me and his name was Nelson. We went a couple of days before. And so since it was about British World War II vets, that was the main thing. But I, th- I said, hey, we haven't a- had a free day. so let's go down to St. Mary that's the town that was liberated by the 82nd airborne paratroopers and the 101st airborne paratroopers. And I knew the, a lot of the history already. And I said, I know there's going to be some World War II veterans there. Maybe we can get a few of those guys to talk about why they come back every year as Americans and what it means to them and get some B stories that we can still add to the British documentary. Right. So that's, that's what we did and when we were there in St. Mary which is a small little town, about 1500 at the time. It was about 1500 people, I think in, in, in 1944. I think it's a little bigger now, but anyway, met a guy that was a reenactor. He was from Holland and started talking to him and he saw the camera. He said, what do you guys do? I said, we're doing this, you know, documentary on these British guys. I said, but we wanted to come down and maybe meet a couple of American, you know, veterans. He said, oh, you need to meet Bill Tucker. I said, oh, who's that? He said, well, Bill Tucker was an 82nd airborne paratrooper. He landed about 200 yards in the field right over there. And I said, oh, wow, that'd be cool. How do I meet him? He said, he's sitting over there at that table. (laughs) <laughs> and He was sitting at this table having a beer from this little place called The Stop Bar, so I went up and introduced myself. He was a really nice guy. At the time, he was probably about 78, 79 years old. This is, like I said, 2000, uh, 2004. And I told him what I was doing. I said, I'd love to inter- interview And he said, yeah, you could interview me. He said, tomorrow would be better because I have a kind of a busier day the rest of the day. So I went and saw him, picked him up the next day, and and he, uh, we went over to uh, park the car and we went to the Airborne Museum. And while we were at the Airborne Museum, 79 years old because he had a cane. He said, I need to sit down and rest for a minute. So he sat down on this cement slab, and he rested. And all of a sudden, this guy walks up. and says, hey, Bill, what's with the camera equipment? He could see that Bill was the, the focus of the camera equipment. What's with the camera equipment? And he says, um... Oh, these guys are from Los Angeles and they're doing a a, a documentary of some British veterans, but World War II veterans, but he wanted to interview me because I'm an American veteran. So this guy just automatically sat down and put his arm around Bill and he's looking right at the camera. Luckily, I had the camera going and, uh, and none of this was rehearsed. It just, he said, let me tell you, points in the camera, let me tell you something, we French. We love the Americans. We love what they did for us. We love that they liberated us from the Germans. And they're always welcome back to France, to Normandy, especially to St. Mary's, the first town liberated by the Americans. And I think, wow, this guy's very well said. I said, and I said, who are you? And Bill says, oh, this is Maurice Renault. His father was the mayor during the D Day anniversary. I mean, during the D Day invasion. Right. And I said, wow. And I said, what do you remember? Uh, I didn't know how old he was. And he said, well, he said, I was only two years old on, in, on, in June of 1944. So I don't remember anything. But he had a book and he said, but you know, th- this book, this is a picture of my dad. He was the mayor. This is a, a picture of Bill Tucker, the old guy, right. but it was in 1964. So he was much younger. Right. And then this is my father. And this is uh, John Steele, the guy that got caught on the church steeple, which really happened. A paratrooper got caught. And so I was asking him some more questions. And he said, well, I said I only remember when I got older, we had American veterans always visiting us at our home, which was right above the pharmacy. He said, but my brother, Henri Jean, he was 10 years old on the night of D-Day 1944. And he said, he's standing right behind you. And so he was literally standing, talking to some other people. So I went up and asked him, hey, I just met your brother, and Bill Tucker. Could I interview you about what you remember on D-Day? So he said, yes. So we went over to the pharmacy after I was done with Bill. And he basically told me, I said, what do you remember on the night of D-Day? And he said, well, I remember, we can remember the airplanes coming. We hear a lot of gunfire. We're right on the church plaza. So we didn't know what was going. It was dark. My mother said, we must stay in the house. And we got under the kitchen table and she said, we must pray. And that's what he <laughs> remembers doing. And then he said, they, they finally went to sleep. And he said, when, he woke, when they woke up in the morning, now there were three boys. There was Maurice, who was a little baby, too. Henri-Jean was 10 and his brother, Paul, was 16. So oh. when they woke up in the morning, it was pretty early still. It was dark out, and um, they said he said they saw little red dots across the street in the church. So there's a thousand-year-old church across the street from them, and then a big plaza or a parking lot, and there were trees in the plaza lot, and so we saw these little red dots b- bounce around, and we said, "What are those?" And he said, "My brother Paul, who was 16, said those are cigarettes. They're smoking cigarettes, whoever they are." And he said, "You think it's the My Germans?" Goodness. And honoring Paul says, no, he says the Germans wouldn't smoke at night to give away their position, especially after what ha- whatever happened last night. And they, then they said, it must be the British came to liberate us finally. So they said, <laughs> as, as it got a little more light, they realized it was American GIs walking around smoking their cigarettes, carrying right. their Thompson machine guns, and so they realized the, the Americans have liberated us. So all that morning, the mayor was out helping, he was the mayor. So he very pro America was waiting for this day for four years, finally came. He uh, that night, he actually pulled an 82nd airworm paratrooper about maybe uh, 100 yards behind their house in a big pond. A guy landed right in the pond, had all oh. this. these guys had 80 pounds of stuff on, and he, he grabbed the, uh, the parachute cords and pulled the guy out. And, the, and he said, The guy, I remember reading this in, the, in his dad's book, and the, the paratrooper was making sure that he wasn't a German. He's, No, I'm French. I'm your friend. I'm your friend. And he said, the guy got his stuff and he just, thank you. And he left. He just ran to get back in the battle. But Henri Jean remembers that morning. The mayor came in that morning and said to his 16-year-old, Paul, he said, Paul, today you will become a man. And he said, you're going to see things that you've never seen in your life, but it's important. It's an important day today. We've been liberated by the Americans. And I want you to understand what happened. And then Henri Jean was like, Papa, let me come too. I want to go. No, you're too young. You're too young. You're only 10. I want to come and he, he was persistent, so his father said, "Okay, you can come too." So they went outside and they saw the the devastation. There was dead Germans lay, laying on the plaza. There was uh, at this point the Germans had already uh, left. They they left town. The Americans overwhelmed them, but uh, there were some dead paratroopers in the trees. And so they saw those things as a ten year old boy. That's what he saw. Mm. And um, and then w- when I was talking to him, I said, "Well." I said, tell me more about during the interview. He says, you know, my mother and father, he said, and I don't know anything about the story that you just, the movie you just saw, I didn't right. even know about, it, didn't know about. It. He says, yeah, he said, my mother and father, they really love the Americans. He said, they, they just, they loved them so much. And he said, oh, the letters I could show you. And I said, but what, what letters? Oh, letters. He says, can you come into my house? And I said, yes. <laughs> so we got in the car and we drove to his house, which is like a minute or two, really close to the town. Mm-hmm. We drive up the driveway and there's two guys. Again, I told you, I could have never planned this day better. Right place, the right time. There's two guys standing in the uh, parking, I mean, in the driveway talking. We get out and I, I told Nelson, I said, Nelson, don't hit stop. Just keep, Just keep the going. keep going. Right. Rolling. Just get <laughs> anything and everything. Right. So he starts talking to the two guys and, and we come out of the car and he says, "So this is my brother, Paul. He was 16 years old on D Day. And so I got to meet Paul. I met all three sons within a matter of an hour. Wow, and uh, they're all wow. older at this point. And Paul gave me a little scenario of what what happened with him on D Day. But I won't go into that. But and then Henri Jean says, "Come into my house." So I remember we go in the house. His mother, his wife, Yvette. I remember she was cutting celery and, and carrots, getting ready for lunch or something. We went into his uh, into his office, and he, and he said he opened this big photo album, and it was a photo album of Bill Tucker, the paratrooper I just had interviewed. And my I'm looking goodness. at all these. Wow. Yeah. So all of a sudden, I still didn't know the story, but it was like the onion was starting to get peeled back. Right. And so I'm seeing pictures of a younger Bill Tucker in 1964, and then oh, this is uh, when my uh, children went to visit Bill in Cape Cod. I said, oh, you mean your kids have been to America? Oh yeah, he says my kids, Bill's kids have come here, our kids there, even our grandkids. at uh, 60 years, it's, we have this link with America and France. Right. I said, Wow, that's pretty amazing. And then I said, and then he brought me over to his some uh, drawers, and he pulled out these drawers, and he showed me. All these things, uh, from mem- souvenirs from the war, like a, n- a knife with brass knuckles on it, German schwa sticker, a German passbooks, blood plasma bottles, just all kinds of paraphernalia from the war. And I said, where'd you get all this stuff? He said, well, you got to remember, he said the morning of D-Day, the paratroopers landed in the fields also, but the morning of D-Day, the gliders came in. And the gliders would, you know, hit these fields and sometimes they'd bust up but they and they just got out and they got into the war. So he said, the, the fields were full of these crashed gliders. And he said, there's all kinds of stuff inside the gliders left behind or left in the fields. And these are our souvenirs from D-Day. <laughs> and then he had a wall full of books of D-Day stuff. And I said, well, Henri-Jean, I said, out of everything in your office, I said, what's the most important? Uh, out of all these books, what's the most important to you? And he, he said this one. And, and he pulled, and there was like uh, about 10 little, 10 black three ring binder books, and they all had little American flags on the top. And mm. he pulled out the second one and he opened it up. And here's where I, here's where I realized the story. I still hadn't even found out about the story and he's going through and he said, these are the letters I was telling you about. And, and I'm seeing all the letters. I didn't really get to read the letters much, but I could see that from Seattle, July, 1944, 1945, 46, Pennsylvania, all, all these different states. And some of them even had a little picture of a GI down in the corner that came wow. along with the letter. And then, and he's showing me and I, okay. And then I see a picture of this lady putting flowers in the grave. And I said, Hey, who's that lady putting flowers in the grave? It was a big picture. And I ended up being the one that was in Life Magazine later on, which I didn't even know about. And he said, Oh, that's my mother. And I'm thinking, again, I don't know the story. I said, well, what is she doing that for? He goes, and he looked at me, Hey, stupid. Right, he's right. Like, Where oh. have you been? He says, oh, <laughs> that's what, she, that's what my mother did. I said, what do you mean? And then he explained the story that my father was the mayor the uh-huh. Western Union telegram started going back to the families. Your son's been killed, your father or your husband, mm-hmm. and they're buried in the, the town cemetery of St. Mary Glees. So the family said, this is where Johnny's buried. This is where dad's buried. So they, the mother or father wrote a letter to the mayor, not even attention, Mayor Alexander Renault. They right. didn't even know, just attention, the mayor. Right. And he got a, a few dozen of these letters and he looked at him. He said to his wife, Simone, we must help these people, them, them being mother and father also. And so she said, yes, we must. I will help. I'll find them. So she went and found the graves, these first few dozen or so, took a picture and put some maybe dirt in the envelope or rose petals, something tangible. And she wrote a nice letter of comfort, sent it back to America, to Pennsylvania, to Kansas or wherever. And you can imagine these families getting this letter and a picture of their son's grave that's 5,000 miles away. And that's how it started. And then they would write a letter back. And all of a sudden this relationship started happening with these few dozen people. And then when, it thing, then when it really blossomed is uh, Teddy Roosevelt Jr., who was the son of the president, Theodore Roosevelt, back in the 1905 area, era. He was a Brigadier General, World War II veteran. Uh, I'm sorry, World War I veteran, was in World War II, landed on Utah Beach with the 4th Infantry Division, won, won a Medal of Honor posthumously for what he did on the beach, helping the guys get off the beach and being there to mm. encourage them. That's a whole nother story. But five, six weeks after he landed on the beach, while they were going down to take Cherbourg, and, and then coming back up, he had a heart attack and he died oh. and so they buried Teddy Roosevelt Jr. in St. Mary temporary uh, cemetery. Number two, there was three, I just said uh, there was three cemeteries. I, I touched on that a little but They've ended up putting three cemeteries in the town of St. Mary Gleese actually two in St. Mary Gleese and one in a little town called Blowsville. It was only like a mile away, but mm-hmm. they consider it part of St. Mary and there were these big fields, farmer fields, and they just see big right. patch and they and they buried him. like today, one of them the cemeteries aren't there anymore. One there is a soccer field there now. Right. Uh, the other one is back to farmland, and then the other one they built, you know, some buildings and stuff on it. But these were the cemeteries that she was going to. and what happened is Teddy Roosevelt, Jr. was buried in cemetery number two. Uh, I think he died on July 12, 1944. He was buried two days later. at his, attending his, his funeral was General Patton. They had his, they had his coffin, they had his coffin in a a in a half track. And the soldiers came out and I found footage of the whole funeral. The, Did the you army, really? Yes, I found it. Yeah.
0: Wow. And, and, um, That's so interesting. I didn't even know Teddy Roosevelt Jr. were over there, let alone died over there. Why didn't we learn that in exactly. history class? Where are our yeah. schools? I don't get it. Yeah, I don't well, get it. I never knew that until I saw the documentary.
1: Yeah. Well, I learned a lot of stuff too. believe me. And yeah. So General Patton was there. Uh, G- general mm-hmm. Collins, who was the head of a big part of the D-Day. i tried, there were some other big, big generals there. I can't remember who I, oh, Omar Bradley was there. I mean, mm-hmm. they were there mm-hmm. for Teddy. Cause he was, he was a seasonal veteran. He was right. gassed in world war one, but he lived. Wow. But anyway, so, so what happened is uh, there was a guy named Ralph Morris, who was worked for life magazine and they sent him over. His job was to follow general Patton through the European theater. And while he was there, Patton was there for the for the, for the, uh, for the the funeral and he saw Madame Renault and he he got a picture of her putting flowers on General Roosevelt's grave and it ended up in Life Magazine, August 7th, 1944 issue. And that's when Americans' families all across America saw this woman putting flowers on General's, General Roosevelt's grave in St. Mary Gleese. They go, wait, St. Mary Gleese, that's where daddy's buried. That's where brother Bob is buried, whatever. And then... Hundreds and hundreds, if not thousands, of letters started coming in saying, We saw your Picture Life magazine. If it's not asking too much, could you do that for my brother or my husband or whatever? And that's how it all started. so she dedicated to doing that. There was those cemeteries were in St. Mary least from 44 to 48. So four years she was doing it, she was walking there all the time with her kids. You saw it in the footage. We did reenactment footage with a right. little boy. And then at 48, um, they, they, the government decided to move those, exhume those bodies, and they gave the American families a choice to either have them brought back to America at the government's expense to be reburied, repatriated, either in, in their hometown cemetery or maybe in Arlington or whatever, wherever they could be buried, or they could stay in French soil. But if they stayed in French soil, they'd be moved about 30 miles south from St. Mary Glees, which would be where Omaha Beach is, uh, above Omaha Beach, the American cemetery that's there right now is called the Normandy American Cemetery, but it's called Colville, the Colville Cemetery. So um, there, right now there's about 9,300 soldiers, 9,300 uh, and a few buried there. And a lot of the guys that were in the 82nd Airborne, the paratroopers, the 101st Airborne, 4th Infantry Division that came up, came into the war up there, that were in those cemeteries for those four years. Now they're in that cemetery. They were originally up in the St. Mary Glees North area because that's where they were first. So I think about 60% of the family said we'd like to have our loved one brought back. And about 40% said we'd like to have them stay in French soil. So that's kind of the history of that. But even after they moved down to the Colville Cemetery, she didn't have a driver's license, but she got somebody to drive her there. And she would go and continue the ones that she'd already been putting flowers on. Or, or meeting, getting new letters and finding them. So that's kind of the, the history. She died in 1988, but she did it for a good 44 years. And then her three sons have continued it uh, since 88. And it still happens today. They continue honoring our veterans every year or throughout the year, but every D-Day, which right. I'll be going to. In, Will you?
0: Oh, nice. Yeah. I would movie, love to go uh, there. On, on. Oh, that's a wonderful story. So that's, I think kind that's-, of,
1: that's the discovery story of how I found it. And then, oh, then one the last thing is when I, when I learned this about his mother, when he said, this is what she did. He told me the story. And I said, he, he told me everything that basically I just told you and I said. Andre Jean, I said, this is an amazing story. I said, who knows about this story? I said, this, has this ever been made into a film? And he said, no. He said people that come to Normandy every year for the anniversary that know us or that are in the military, they, some of them know about it, but on a worldwide scale, not a lot of people know about it. I said, well, I said, we need to make a documentary about your mother and father. And that's how that all started. And I, it took me five years, but I did finish it and came, it started in 2005 and it came out in 2010.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, five years, it takes time to do these documentaries. So that's not bad. I know people have worked on documentaries 10, 15 years. So five years isn't bad at all. And what a wonderful woman to make a documentary about because she really did devote her entire life to thanking Americans for what they did. She was so thankful that the Americans saved her town and she lived that through her whole life. She just uh, wrote those letters and comforted the families that lost sons. It was, she was an amazing woman and I had never heard that story either. What a shame.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, little by little people are seeing the movie and and there is a coffee table book that I put as a companion piece to the film. So I'm right now hoping to get that in libraries, do a big deal to get it in libraries so people uh, can see it in, you know, the public libraries and, and also in universities to uh, get the word out it really
0: should be yeah absolutely because i'm afraid that as the world war ii veterans die off which most of them are dying off there's only a few left that their stories are going with them because younger people just don't always boomers are more interested but ones that are are younger than us they're just not interested in history like we were they're really not well if you're a
1: baby boomer your parents were probably in the war whether they were actually over in the war fighting or they were part of the war uh, being a Rosie riveter or something helping well my
0: father was actually in the war he was a paratrooper and yeah, he told me. what he Maybe. dropped into germany so he was part of the war some of his yeah. brothers were also in the war and i had i'm from germany so i have german relatives yeah and my grandmother was actually in germany during the war but my mother and her sister were in the united states so wow. that was a real big thing that they yeah. were separated during the war wow. it was a horrible Thing, but my grandmother had to work in an ammunition's factory, yeah. and she used to go to work every day crying. She hated it. Yeah, she hated it. But they forced her. You yeah. could, and even if you had young children at home, they didn't care. You had to yeah. work. So, yeah, it was yes. a horrible time in Germany. It's just a horrible time. Yeah. And my, fa- my um husband, who was born in Germany, lost five of his uncles in the war. So only wow. his father lived and his father <clears throat> lost all of his fingers and he was a tailor.
1: Oh, my gosh. So
0: he had two thumbs left. That was it. So he Terrible. had to come back and learn to do something else. So. Yeah. Yeah, so I've a wow. lot of stories too about yeah. the war and afterwards and my grandmother actually wrote a little book cuz she hid a Jewish woman and her daughter during the war in her home and if the war hadn't ended when it had yeah. they were going to come and take the whole family cuz they knew sure. she was hiding this woman and her daughter. They wow. just couldn't pinpoint they couldn't find it but at some point they were going to come and arrest the whole family and take them away. So That's luckily the war end it before that happened. Wow. So yeah. I got to meet all those people, which I really love the woman. She I never met the daughter, but I met the woman she saved. And I met a lot of the other people that were with my grandmother during the war that lived in the house because there were lots of people living in one house during the war. There weren't yeah. wasn't enough housing. So yeah. I guess I've learned a lot more about what happened during the war. So I'm a lot more interested. Yeah. And then my aunt who was um maybe 18 as the war was winding down, yeah. she's now in the United States. She's 96. Wow. But I used to go visit her and get her to tell us stories about what happened. Sure. Yeah. So it was very interesting. I think yeah. we have to keep these stories going. We really do.
1: Yeah. I was going to say, I'm going to be, in, I'm leaving in a couple of days to go to Normandy for the 70th anniversary. and. <clears throat> I've noticed I didn't go the last two years because of COVID. It was kind of shut down, but this should be the right. first year. But, but in the last like seven years, yeah, the, the the veterans, the World War II veterans that were coming back, they're like, there were 95, 94, 95. So now yeah. the ones that were actually 20 years old in 1944 are like 100 years old. Well, they're, they're 98 to 100. Yeah. Like, so there won't actually,
0: be too many there, do you think?
1: No, every year it's less and less. Yeah. And right, there are right. a, lot, a lot of them are. They're, they're almost, they're hundred years old, 9900. So they're, they're moving kind of slow walkers, wheelchairs, but right. they're still coming, which is amazing. They're coming. And they it get, is amazing
0: because like, it's hard to get on an airplane when you're a hundred, oh like goodness. that's a difficult journey. So yes. you have to give them credit for coming back and keeping yeah. that alive. And I love that the town is still so grat, so thankful to yes. us and they keep this going every year. I think it's so important.
1: They still do. Yeah. 78 years and it's still going and it'll, it'll go. Even after the veterans are gone, they'll keep it going. Yeah. I I mean, it could taper down a little bit. I don't think so.
0: Yeah, that's great. Yeah, Yeah, because the sons took over and then the grandchildren are going to take over. That's just wonderful because they respected their elders and because their mother did it, they're going to do it. And then the grandchildren, at some point it might fizzle out, but yeah could for a while and i wish the children of the world war ii veterans would start participating now maybe they will well some
1: of them do come back and they've met the renault family and there's a like i said there's continued relationships after uh, 78 years it's really neat to see that happen and i got to meet some of those families which is cool i interviewed some of them actually for the for the uh, film so
0: right right yeah well I just think this is a wonderful venture and I'm so happy you did it. I'm so happy to talk about it today on the yeah. podcast since it's Memorial Day. So tell my audience where they can go if they would like to learn more about it or <laughs> buy the book. And you have a new ebook out. Tell yeah. us a little bit about the ebook.
1: Sure. The best place to find out information about the film is motherofnormandy.com, which is the main website. On there, you can watch the film trailer, which is about six minutes. Uh, you can order the DVD film or uh, the coffee table book, and then, as you mentioned, yeah, I just came out with a a digital version, a Kindle version of the ebook, which I'm really excited about. And you can get that on uh, on Amazon. Just go to Amazon, type in Mother of Normandy in the search bar. It's the first thing that pops up, and yeah, uh, it's uh, let's see, it's starting June first. It's going to be fourteen ninety nine, but it's at a di- it's at a discounted price right now for six ninety nine. So if you want to take advantage of that price, uh, I would say, get it in the next day or two since right. this is uh, being played Memorial Day. So that's, yeah, so that's kind of mothernormity.com or Amazon for the ebook. And then, yeah, and that's kind of what's, what the scoop is with that project.
0: Good. And then you, I think you have some fu- future projects that you're working on. Tell us a little bit about them too.
1: Sure. I just, let's see, back in November, the, behind me here, this is the, the book cover for a, a time travel book I did called It's a Wonderful Time. And it's about uh, the movie, the other poster, which is It's Wonderful Life with Jimmy Stewart. And it's a uh, time travel about a guy, a young editor who goes from 2021 back to 1946 uh, Hollywood and helps make that film get done the way it was supposed to get, the way that we know it today. And so wow. it's kind of a fun, It's I always say it's like Back to the Future meets uh, Midnight in Paris on the set of It's Wonderful Life. Oh, and wow. So, so that's a, that's a project that's already out. That's on Amazon also. But I'm right now working on the audiobook version, which will be done maybe in about a month. So, and then I'm, it's a series. It's called the Hollywood Time Travel Series. So I'm right now working on book two with my co-author Reinhardt. So those are the my next project is to get book two done and finish the audiobook for book one.
0: Good, good. So we'll have to have another podcast and talk about that too, because that sure. sounds really interesting.
1: Yeah, great. I'd love to come back on. Yeah. And yeah. HollywoodTimeTravel.com is the website for this.
0: For that, HollywoodTimeTravel.com.
1: Yeah. Oh, good. Well, thank so they- you for having me on. I, I really appreciate it. And I always love to talk about World War II history. And there you whenever go. I can talk about our amazing veterans, I love it. So thank you for that opportunity.
0: Yeah, me too. And I'd like to thank you for being a great guest and for reminding my audience on Memorial Day about what it's really about. It's not about picnics. It's about our servicemen that have served this country. I'd like to also thank all of our veterans today for their service to this great country of ours. We owe them a great debt of gratitude that can never be repaid. I agree
1: 100%. It's it's amazing. The freedoms we have today, we wouldn't have them if, if it wasn't for them.
0: Absolutely not. So I commend you for making that wonderful documentary because it keeps these stories alive. And I really think that's important. So yes, thank you for being my guest today. I really appreciate it. You're welcome.